0: Day 35 of Hard Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Hard Dive Podcast. I'm back, still in mom sport mode. I did take my jacket off because last week somebody was like, I really like it whenever you change your clothes so that I don't think that we're still on the same day. So a wardrobe change is the last thing I'm thinking about, but thankfully I had layers so we can do that. Hey, today we are in Exodus chapters 16 through 18, still lots of ground to cover. So I hope nobody is skipping out on our Saturday and Sunday lessons. If you are with us in real time, thank you for your patience today. So we are going to jump into this rather quickly. Love for it if you could help us out though by hitting that like button real quick before we get started. So let's go ahead and pray so that we can dig into the Word and all of its goodness. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this weekend, for this day, for this time that we were able to refresh, restore, to find rest. And I just pray, God, that you will reinvigorate our spirits right now. We pray for your presence to be evident here in our space. God, I pray that you will surround every single person with such a tangible presence that we will know that you're with us. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. And I pray that any place that there is any bitterness or anger or unforgiveness holy spirit that you will cast it out now in the name of jesus help us to breathe in all of who you are and exhale all of the junk of life we don't want any of it god we just want what you want for us for we know that it is in your hands where the best of who we are will come from. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. Forgive us where we have fallen short or stepped over the line or where we have hurt anybody else or even grieved your heart. I pray, Lord, that you will also help us to have the capacity to forgive others, to help us to see them through your eyes, Lord, and to be more compassionate and more full of grace and mercy and kindness. Please don't lead us down the wrong path, Lord. I pray that you will guide us back onto the right road, the straight and narrow that leads to your glory glory. We want to go toward your promised land, moving forward at all times, never looking back. We follow after you today, Lord, that pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. Your word is guiding us and leading us and illuminating our path. So we thank you for it today. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will allow us to hear you and your truth with accuracy. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 16, so they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin- which by the way, this has nothing to do with sin or transgression or anything like that. It's just called sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So sin is actually a hostile territory. It is a desert area. So when we're talking about wilderness, we are not thinking wildflowers and butterflies and beautiful sound of music scenery. I mean, this is more like trudging through the hot desert. It is barren. There's not a lot. Around their sand, their stone, and that's it. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Go figure. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Oh boy. Okay, so this is the picture I got in my head. Do you guys own an Instapot? So, if so, you know that you can either allow the pressure to slow release on its own, or if you don't have the patience to wait, you can flip that little knob and it's in the quick release of all of that pressure that is built up within the pot. And that is what the Israelites have opted for here. I mean, in this moment of feeling like they are being cooked in a pressure cooker, they start grumbling and complaining, once again, dreaming of the good old days of slavery when they apparently were having potlucks with stews and homemade breads, according to them. Although I'm pretty sure that that is an inflated thought in their minds. So rather than trusting in God and just holding on for a little bit longer, they allowed the pressure to send them looking for the escape hatch. So heart check, whenever you are under pressure, do you look for the quick escape? Or do you hold on, trusting in God's release? Verse 4 Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So that's a big old heart check, I'm not gonna ask the question, but man, I was like, ooh, when we grumble against other people, That could technically be grumbling against God, especially when it's people of the faith and sisters and brothers in Christ. So, I don't know, are you grumbling against your boss or your pastor or your spouse? You could be grumbling against God. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. So in the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning dew lay around the camp. So he's going to give them the best carving stations for dinner and they're going to be making pancakes in the morning. And when the dew had gone up, there was On the face of the wilderness, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Ooh, how I love this. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus is going to compare himself to the manna whenever he declares himself to be the bread of life. And He is our daily bread, giving us exactly what we need. And we get that through the Word, because in the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Jesus came to the earth as the Word made flesh. So, it is here where we are going to receive everything we need for what we will be facing throughout our days. And oftentimes, you will find that whenever you are in the Word daily, as you go throughout your day, the very thing that you read is the very thing that you end up dealing with. But some of us will read the Word and we will walk away still searching for the quail as if it isn't enough to satisfy our soul. So heart check, is the Word satisfying your cravings in life or are you still seeking quail? Verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which is about two quarts. And if you think about this, by the way, two quarts for two to three million people, we're talking about 10 trains that have 30 cars each every single day. So, if you think about that lying on the ground every single day, filling up 10 trains with 30 cars, that is a lot of manna. So, this is according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So, in a sense, God gave them exactly what they needed, those who had a small appetite, they were able to gather and they would be filled with that small amount. And those who needed a little more fuel, he provided more through that Omar, And while we are on the subject of the Word being our manna, I want to take a second to speak to those who might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed with how quickly we are moving through the Bible or how much we are taking in each day or even for those who might feel as though they have, quote, fallen behind, because we have to remember that while reading the Bible in a year is a wonderful goal and it can be beneficial, it is also not required by God. It isn't even recommended. So, for some, you may need to stop whenever you begin to feel full, because the Word of God is meant to be meditated upon. It's meant to be chewed on, and it is intended to develop our relationship with Christ. It isn't just about storing up knowledge, and this isn't speed dating. So, if you need to take two years, five years, whatever it takes to finish, then take it. You see, God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our agendas or box checking on our Bible plans or our heart checklists. And we're not going to receive an extra prize for checking off all of those boxes or answering every heart check or deep dive question. So I'm saying this to relieve a little bit of that pressure. I mean, the most important thing is that you walk away from studying the Word knowing Him more not knowing more words. If we bulldoze beyond that, there is a tendency to bury the very words that we read. Now on the flip side, there are others who are in a different place where they can rise to this challenge and grow in their relationship at the same time because we are going a little bit deeper beyond what they already know. So what I'm saying is take your fill of the manna. And don't try to overindulge just to meet a quota. We got to trust in His timing and in His provision for you and your journey. See, you're not being left behind if you pause. I mean, you can look at it as you're actually way ahead of those who might be starting on day one right now, or maybe even way ahead of those who won't even start day one until next year. You are right where God wants you. So heart check, is your gathering of the daily bread being done with the heart to be nourished or to simply meet a quota? Now, the only exception to that is don't quit. That's the only thing I'm going to tell you. Do not quit. Always come back to the word. Verse 19, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. So once again, here we see that when too much is gathered, what is left over becomes a stench. It's kind of like going to a buffet, you know, where you fill your plate with all the things. And that first bite is like the best thing you have ever tasted. But by the time you reach the end of that meal, I mean, you need a wheelchair to get you up out of that restaurant. Your stomach hurts. You swear off eating for the rest of the week because nothing could possibly taste good anymore. And overindulging in the word can be the same way if we are not giving it time to digest or we are not applying it in a way that gives it an outsource. So if we're only consuming all the time and not pouring out in service to others, we will become so full that we become insensitive and uncomfortable, and then the word doesn't taste as sweet as it once did. Or we can even begin to criticize others. I mean, I know people here on YouTube who just criticize pastors and ministries all day and they make a living on it. And if you go in that comment section of those videos, it is just an echo chamber of self-righteousness and hatred. And I just think to myself, how did we get here? And I actually realized that I was there at one time. I mean, that's how I know about these videos. I was consuming so much that I ended up in an unhealthy place. But whenever you are living out your life to pour out goodness into the world, you don't have time for that kind of nonsense. So imagine how much more good we could do if we actually spent time applying the word that we are consuming instead of just overeating to the point of dissatisfaction. So heart check. What are you doing with the word that you are consuming? Is there an outsource or are you just filling up only for yourself? And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So, in other words, no cooking on the seventh day is what God is saying here. So God instituting the Sabbath here, why the Sabbath for the Israelites, it was a day of rest, but also a day of heartfelt worship and an opportunity to kind of uncrowd the busy schedule of life. That's why I take a Sabbath day. And I know that there's some people who get uncomfortable with that word because they think that that means that I am trying to live my life by works. But you got to just remember that Sabbath simply means that we aren't working. And this is a personal conviction for myself, I don't work on the seventh day. I take that day as a time of rest and an opportunity to spend with my family unhindered without worrying about everything else that I have to take care of or do. And it's a great thing. It's a positive thing. And I'm never going to stop talking about it. And I don't think that I should be discouraged to talk about it because it's something that God has worked on my heart with. And it is something that has brought an immense joy and refreshing to my life every single time I do it. Verse 24. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today, you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So isn't it interesting that on any other day, if they would have kept leftovers, it would have turned into a stinky hot mess with a bunch of worms in it. But for some reason on the sixth day, it supernaturally is kept as fresh as the day that they gather it on the sixth. So, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. So, some people are still trying to overwork themselves on that seventh day. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So, they are ignoring that commandment. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, so it is a gift. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in His place. Let no one go out of His place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. So here we see the name of this fine flaky thing. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, this always makes me think of that really delicious honeycomb. I think it's Australian. It is in that candy bar called Violet Crumble. Actually, my favorite one is the Cadbury Crunchy Candy Bar. Every time somebody goes to Australia, I'm like, please bring me back 10 cases of Crunchy Bars. I need them. If you've never tasted a Violet Crumble, Or a crunchy bar or honeycomb from Australia, find a way to get your hands on it because it is amazing. It is incredible. So I'm looking at the manna as crunchy bars. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an Omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So somehow, this one Omer of manna is going to remain fresh it isn't going to get worms and it's not going to get stanky and moses said to aaron take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the lord to be kept throughout your generations as the lord commanded moses so aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept and the people of israel ate manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of canaan and omer is the 10th part of an ephah so for An entire generation, manna is the staple food for the Israelites. So, now that they're full on manna, we're going to see what happens here in chapter 17 as they begin to thirst. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, which means rest, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Now, this quarreling is actually grumpy complaining once again. So, God has just filled the Israelites up on manna, and because they are on the move, they're getting pretty dehydrated. So, why would God take them to a place where the water fountain is in op? Well, it is so that we will thirst for more and recognize that sometimes it takes that thirst to get us to that proper source of drinking, the well that never runs dry. But as we will see, sometimes we got a knock on those rusty pipes— Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is rusty. I mean, sometimes though, we do need to knock on the door a little bit and let him know, hey, I'm back so that we can get that water flowing again. So heart check, is there a drought in your spirit? Are you seeking the right source to quench it? So, where they were thirsty, I mean, asking for water wouldn't have been a sin. They could have prayed, cried out to the Lord, but again, it was what they did with this unbelief or doubt, and they started quarreling with them. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And again, we know that we shall never put God to the test. And so, this is Moses saying, your unbelief is testing God. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt just to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So I'm like, wow, what an outrageous accusation. I mean, talk about trigger response. They're now accusing Moses that he's trying to kill them. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. So this tells us that not everybody was complaining. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, which means testing and quarreling because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, this striking of the rock is symbolic of Jesus's death in the sense that he is the living water. Whenever they pierced his side, it was blood and water that flowed from his side, symbolizing the forgiveness of sins through His blood, and the fact that He will be that living water. He will be that well that never runs dry. He will be the source that refreshes us and that quenches that thirst that is constantly in our spirits. Verse 8, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So, remember who Amalek is. He's actually the grandson of Esau. And Esau anytime we talk about Esau or the Edomites is typically symbolic of our flesh and this was an unprovoked attack meaning it was really heinous and the Amalekites actually made their living by raiding these different towns and being able to plunder them and taking everything from them so Moses said to Joshua and Joshua will become one of the main characters in the old testament he is Moses's aide and also his successor He says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So remember Aaron is Moses' brother her, we don't know exactly who he is. Some people think that he might be the brother-in-law of Moses, but we're really not sure. Now, whenever Moses held up his hand, and by the way, holding up our hands is a posture of prayer in the Bible, so we are assuming that Moses is praying when he is doing this, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And this is one of my favorite pictures in the Bible, the lifting of the hands being that posture of prayer. And whether or not that is what Moses was actually doing, again, I believe it was, he still grew weary. And he needs others to come alongside him and to lift up his arms so that they could continue to wage war. We need other people in our corner to lift us up whenever we do grow weary. And there will be different people in different corners. I mean, I've got my sisters in my family. I've got my best friends, Erica here in Vegas. I got Sherry in Missouri, Shawnee in Alaska, Anita in Arizona. I mean, right here in this ministry, we've got Holly Mitch, Monica Tracy, all my facilitators, small group leaders. But guess what? While it's wonderful to have all of these amazing people, we've also got to remember that we got to be in other people's corners. And I remember when I had my very first conversation with Holly, she told me, I'm here just to lift up your arms. And I was like, oh no, girl, we are here to lift each other's arms up. See, it goes both ways. And you will see that when you get into the corner with others, The battles are much easier to wage together, especially in prayer. So heart check. Who is lifting your arms? And whose arms are you lifting? Verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So this is intended to be written down so that it can be an encouragement to Joshua later. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, otherwise known as Jehovah Nissi, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation so in the end the israelites they were hungry they were thirsty and guess what the bible says about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they're the ones who are blessed and they shall be filled so those hunger pangs and that thirst for more is a good thing as long as you go to the right source to be filled up again and this ending part the lord is our banner and this picture of Moses' arms being lifted in prayer, that is where battles are won. The battles are won in prayer because we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and principalities of a dark and evil world. And whenever we pray, it doesn't necessarily change the situation or change things. You'll see that saying, prayer changes things, and it, it can and will. But what I'm saying is, I think, Prayer actually will change us more than it will actually change the situation. It will change our perspective. It will change the way that we look at things. It will change our direction. It will quiet our thoughts. It will affirm our faith. It will calm our spirit, and it will prepare our ears to actually listen to what God is saying. Chapter 18, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. So remember that whole situation where Zipporah was real upset that she had to circumcise her son. And so it seems as though they left and now the father-in-law is reuniting them together. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliaser. So here we are finally seeing the name of the second son, and this is the first mention of his name. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. So We see here that Moses is still under the authority of his father-in-law and that he really still honors him. Remember, Moses is one of the most educated men coming out of Egypt, and yet he still has such a humble heart before his father-in-law because bowing down and kissing were signs of respect. And they asked each other, of their welfare, which is the word shalom, and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. So I don't know if Jethro worshipped many gods before, and maybe he still does, and he's just acknowledging that God is greater. I'm not sure. And Jethro Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So, they are here celebrating the deliverance. And I do want to kind of shift your perspective. If you think of burnt sacrifices as some gruesome thing that is done, it really was like a barbecue. I mean, they would actually eat the sacrifice. It was part of their provision for dinners and for celebrations. So, it's not as gruesome as you might think. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. So, it appears as though he's kind of like the Supreme Court Justice here. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So, they got lines out the door, needing Moses to help them deal with their issues. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, "'Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another.'" So, basically, it's case by case. "'And I make them know the statutes of God and His laws.'" And Moses' father-in-law said to him, "'What you are doing is not good.'" You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. So, notice that Jethro never says that Moses is incapable or unworthy or not good enough to handle the situation. He simply sees that Moses is trying to carry too heavy of a load. And we have to remember that he's not only leading two to three million people through the wilderness, but now he's also taking on all of their problems and responsibility of being a supreme court justice and if we have a daily dispute in our homes of four to five people can you imagine how many would be standing in line in a crowd that is millions deep but for some reason he's still taking on this burden because he knows he's capable but perhaps there is someone else he could have raised up to build them up into their God-given calling. I mean, I know I tend to be this way because I don't want to burden others with all the work that I need to do. But whenever we do this, we will inevitably neglect other responsibilities. And we already see that Moses' family had fallen apart because he failed to circumcise his son. And there are quotes that both Morgan and Moody spoke that I thought was so profound. It says, men called by God to lead are always in danger of attempting to encompass more than they are able. And Moody said, it is better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men. I was like, amen to that. So hard check. Are you doing too much? Are there areas in your life that could be delegated to others to help them grow? So, he continues, "'You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do.'" So, here he is setting up this sense of pastoral leadership. "'Moreover, look for, number one, able men from all the people.'" men who, number two, fear God, who, number three, are trustworthy, and number four, hate a bribe or they do not take uh, part in covetousness, and place such men over the people as chiefs or thousands of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So, they need to be ranked, and they must have authority over them as well so that there's some sort of accountability. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So, it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this People also will go to their place in peace. So, in other words, if you listen to me, you're not going to burn out like many many ministers do. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country." So in other words, Moses listened, and that is the trait of a good leader. Other traits that we see here is that a good leader doesn't work alone. They are able to take on that special responsibility to both teach and pray for those who are with them. They're able to select, train, and give authority. They define roles. They delegate responsibilities to those roles. They are able to listen, and they're also teachable. So they're not a one-man band. They're not a one-man show. They realize that they need help, and they are willing to receive it. Taking a look at some of our deep dive questions. What does grumbling or complaining reflect in a person's faith? How can the provision of manna and quail be applied to your life? What is your view of the Sabbath? Is there still a benefit in honoring it today? What can we learn from the way Moses responds to the Israelites grumbling? Do you see yourself as more of a leader or one who supports leadership? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your divine and unwavering provision. We not only have everything we need at just the right time in this life, but you give us, through your word, direction and strength whenever we don't know which way to go or how we're going to get there. And so I pray that throughout our own life's journey, that you will help us to trust in your plan and to depend upon your provision. Forgive us, Lord, where we couldn't see beyond our temporary hunger for more or where vision of our past was skewed to the point that we have thought what was behind us was better than what was ahead of us. And because you want us moving forward and never backward, and because you desire the best for us, we will trust that what is ahead is far greater than anything that is behind us. And we thank you for the daily manna that you provide to us each and every day. I pray that we will hear this directive today to gather exactly what we need and we'll never overindulge or try to eat beyond our capacity. Because we know we can fill up on the word and still never know you at the end of this life. And so I pray that when we come here to read and study and listen to your voice, that it will be for the purpose of knowing you more and then pouring out into others in obedience to the Great Commission. We can't make disciples out of nations without knowing what that means. So help us to find that healthy balance and correlation between knowledge and wisdom and relationship with you. So we thank You, Jesus, for being our rest, but I pray that we will also understand the importance of physical rest as well. You modeled it so perfectly for us, so where there is conviction to honor the Sabbath, I pray that we will be obedient, but each one convinced in their own mind according to Your Word. Let this not be a point of contention within the church, and I pray that You will reveal Your truth to us so that we can remain united instead of divided over theological arguments. I pray that when we come upon times of hungering and thirsting, that we will look to you as our source. Where things may not be going the way we had hoped, give us the patience and also the ability to be an asset and a problem solver, rather than simply resorting to filing a complaint. And if we can't contribute, may we always check our hearts and the motive behind the correction, and whether it is for edification or simply to just release some pressure or argue a point. May we seek your guidance always. Forgive us where we have been critical of others, especially those in the faith. For we know that when we come against one another, it can actually be an act of coming against you. And help us, Lord, to be in other people's corners and lifting one another's hands through encouragement and prayer. We know that it is in prayer where battles are truly won. For we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of a dark and evil world. But we know that we can always sit under your banner, Jehovah Nisi, knowing that you ultimately fight for us. And we thank you, Lord, for showing us your heart for families to be restored, where we have played a part in the breaking apart of our own families. God, I pray that we will take on your heart of reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration. And I pray for reuniting of loved ones today and clean slates as they move forward together. Your word says that what God has brought together, let no man separate, and that includes us. And so i pray that we will be humble like moses especially in the way that we honor one another help us to have a teachable spirit but also one that is growing in the ability to lead others well i pray for those who do not have the gift of leadership that you will help them to grasp the biblical model of what that looks like knowing that we cannot be a one-man show but we need others to help carry the burden i pray that you will bring them exactly who they need to fill in the gaps Show us, Lord, how to delegate and give us discernment on who to give responsibilities to. But I pray that we will all have a collaborative spirit, always working with one another and never against. We love you so much. We thank you for this powerful word today. And we honor you in all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing. And there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer. And I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that He died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.